1: May the 4th be with you. Who is that masked man?
0: Avengers, assemble! Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Some genre-related news before we get to today's discussion. Tamura Morrison is set to play as Boba Fett in Season 2 of the Disney Plus series The Mandalorian. Morrison previously appeared as bounty hunter Jango Fett in Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones. He also played Aquaman's father in the 2018 DC Comics movie. The Boba Fett character's appearance was teased in the Mandalorian Season 1 episode, The Gunslinger. Season 2 is scheduled to premiere on Disney Plus in October. The CW has acquired the rights to the DC Universe Swamp Thing show. Now to be clear, Rather than pick up the show for production, The CW will be rebroadcasting episodes that previously aired. The CW has also secured several other shows to augment their lineup, as the remaining Arrowverse shows are ending their seasons prematurely due to the cessation of production caused by the pandemic. Fans have expressed hope that perhaps The CW might pick up Swamp Thing. I wouldn't hold my breath. Audible's audiobook adaptation of Neil Gaiman's classic DC Vertigo comic book The Sandman is coming in July. James McAvoy stars as Dream. The production also features Riz Ahmed, Justin Vivian Bond as Desire, Arthur Darvill, Kat Dennings as Death, Taryn Edgerton, William Hope, Josie Lawrence, Miriam Margolis as Despair, Samantha Morton, B.B. Newworth, Andy Circus, and Michael Sheen as Lucifer. Author Gaiman narrates and also serves as executive producer with Dirk Maggs, who adapted the comics and directs. The first part of the Audible drama will debut on July 15th and adapts the first three volumes of the graphic novel series. And some sad news this week as comic book writer Martin Pascoe died on Sunday. Pasco enjoyed a long and distinguished career at DC Comics, working on such titles as Superman, Doctor Fate, The Justice League of America, and many others. He wrote for a number of animated shows starting in the early 80s, including Thundar the Barbarian, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. He was the co-writer of the animated feature film, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, and a writer on Batman the Animated Series, for which he won a Daytime Emmy Award. He was 65. Today, it's part two of uh, the series in line with current events, where we're discussing noteworthy movie, television, comic book, and literature works focusing on apocalyptic or dystopian themes and joining me today on this special coronavirus edition a fantastic forum because of course we are sheltering in place we are practicing social distancing we are home and safe where we can't be touched by this awful pandemic because we're hiding under our beds basically but joining me for this uh, coronavirus edition is brian Lyles. say hi brian Hello. Yes, I'm yeah, well, you know, there you go. And and I remember last week, I was just introducing people, and you tried to say hi, and it was like, oh, wait, we're in the middle of the intro. So this time, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Camille Richardson. Hello. Say hi, Camille. All right, there you go. All right. And, courtesy of the Great Geek Refuge, the one, the only, Mike Lunsford. Welcome to the show, Mike.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Oh, please. Not, not at all. Okay, so we were having so much fun last week with the topic of uh, stories of the apocalypse, of dystopian futures, dystopian presence, apocalyptic presence, that we decided that we were going to keep this party going. So, I am going to uh, start out, but before we actually get to naming apocalyptic things or dystopian uh, projects, I, I did a little bit of research this week because I was fascinated, and I'm curious as to what you guys think, but I was fascinated by the reasons why people seem to gravitate to these horrible, horrible stories. <laughs> you know, it would not seem to be something that would be as popular as 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 it is, you know? I mean, but this thing just keeps going on. and. There are a lot of scholarly works on this topic, let me tell you. So, um, one of the things I found was that uh, it's, it's speculated that it has something to do with escapism, some people say. Um, some people say it's cathartic, uh, this idea of survival being kind of attractive. Some people say we have a fascination with death and destruction. I'm curious what you guys think. Um, Do you like it? And if so, why? Uh, Camille?
2: I do enjoy it. Um, I kind of like to see people tested outside of normalcy and to see how, if they could deal with it or not, especially if it's a story that where they're either going through the transition or if it's later, those are going to be very different stories, but they're both going to be equally entertaining.
0: Okay. All right. Brian, what about you? Do you like apocalyptic stories uh and if so why and either way, why do you think people like them
3: i am in a mixed boat it's it's kind of like it's in it's i enjoyed watching them, but I get to the point where it's like okay, we're kind of seeing the same things over and over uh we keep seeing like the, those who are let's say the immediate survivors um we always have the strong yield one we have the the Uh, you know, the goofy one or the one who's trying to be a comedian. We try to to have the sensitive one and all this stuff. Same thing over and over again. As for people who like it, I just think that uh, they just like the survival mode aspect. You know, it's like who will survive, you know, how this will happen. But if you get to the point where it's kind of like watching a horror movie, 15, you know, like seeing Friday the 13th, all the Friday the 13th back in 1980 i mean it's kind of like all right same thing we're doing with this person this one you are trying to pick out oh that person will survive why because she's the cute girl you get that's how it is
0: now mm, okay all right mike what about you
1: i mean for me i i, I love it like I, I because my favorite stories are always the ones that tell about the human condition um yeah action and adventure is all great but like your interpersonal Um, relationships are always like what really sells a story for me so seeing that like we'll use um, I Am Legend or Omega Man as an example we use the Will Smith version Um, seeing the relationship between him and his dog that he has because that's like his only companion basically and then like just the gut wrenching tragedy of what happens to the dog like that's, that's what makes these stories interesting is because we feel those emotions and it's always a great way to really, again, like just like with good sci-fi, it turns the mirror on the viewer to take a look at society as a whole. Like we talked about, I think it might have been off air when we talked about it, but we talked about the propensity for zombie movies during um, Republican era presidents and um, zo- uh, vampire movies during Democratic <laughs> era presidents. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it it hits those fears that we have as a culture that we're all like some of us secretly afraid of and, and afraid to admit others, you know, blatantly, um, will tell people how afraid they are of it. Um, (laughs) but it's also, it's something outside of the norm, the norm, you know, like what's going to be more interesting, you know, a father daughter, um, relationship where they're, um, yelling at each other in a shopping mall while they're trying to find her address for prom or a father daughter relationship where they're yelling at each other because there's a, a a horde of zombies running at them at full speed. Like it's obviously Mm -hmm. the drama is turned up a little bit when you're, when you got, you know, a horde of flesh eating zombies running at you.
0: Mm, Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, that I think is interesting and I learned something new while I was performing this research uh, the Greek word "apocalypse" means to reveal something that is hidden, and so uh, this is what the apocalypse is about. It's about revelation, and you know that—that's what, in a nutshell, some of you, you know, we're talking about. Uh, the other thing that is very interesting to me: uh, the bulk of the research on these stories say that even though people find it cathartic. Uh, you know, they say something about pessimistic glimpses into the future, or the optimistic notion of offering these lessons and parables about the human condition, Um, the end never actually comes. I mean, things are so incredibly bad, the end may almost come, but there's a handful of survivors who are left to carry on the torch, to struggle forward, and apparently this is part of what people find compelling about these stories you know that and the human nature of it and uh, just uh, i i know it was a rhetorical question you asked mike mm-hmm. but uh you know clearly you haven't watched some of these hallmark uh dramas you know <laughs> you're <laughs> saying what's more interesting <laughs>
1: Hey, I try to stay
0: away from that as hard as possible. So. <laughs> yeah, Lifetime or Hallmark Channel, or mm-hmm. you know, the guy arguing with his daughter while they're looking for a prom dress. This could be a show. You know, <laughs> <laughs> could absolutely be a show. Anyway, so uh, we can we can come back to that because I think a certain degree of fascination about these stories uh, is uh, is natural you know particularly given the level of the technology and that's going to carry me to the first thing that uh, I wanted to mention for this show which is uh, a movie uh, it was called 2012 and it came out in 2009 and right. uh, I really I really like this movie I got to tell you and Um, It's mainly because of uh, a single scene there at the end, and I think it goes right to what I was reading about in terms of what we find compelling about stories, all right? Anyway, though, um, it's an ensemble picture. uh, Stars John Cusack and uh, Thandie Newton and... uh, uh, Chiwetel 4 and Oliver Pratt and a bunch of people. I mean, there's all kinds of people in it. And um, basically, John Cusack is playing uh, an author. Well, I, I, I sort of a I would call him a failed author, but he actually was published, but they only published about 500 copies of this science fiction novel that he wrote. And uh, he's working as a chauffeur to this crazy rich Russian oligarch guy, and uh, that's how he finds out what's going on. Because apparently, uh, the, um, the the coming of the apocalypse is known, and so world governments have in secret gotten together, and they have financed the construction of these arcs. And um, they finance them because these crazy rich people want to survive, and so they pluck <laughs> down billions of dollars. Uh, to help build these things over in China. And uh, it's a very fascinating movie because um, you know it, it in, i mean it covers a whole bunch of different a bunch of different ground basically. Uh, for example, conspiracy theories. Um anytime somebody gets too close to figuring out what's going on to avoid disclosure and a potential worldwide panic, these people are knocked off, you know. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's like, oh the uh, the director of the Louvre is getting ready to blow the whistle, and oh, he's in a car accident. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> stuff like this. And, uh, and Woody Harrelson he, is playing. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. What, what you want yeah, to that
3: was you mentioned about mentioned about Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson's character was perfect.
0: Yeah, he was the guy who figured out the conspiracy and, um, you know, didn't have it quite right. But uh, anyway, but great movie. Um, uh, Chualtel Egiafor is a scientist working for the government. Uh, Danny Glover is the president of the United States. Dandy Newton is his daughter. Anyway, um, the scene that I really like is uh, towards the end of the picture. The arcs have actually launched. But um, see, John Cusack and his family weren't supposed to be on on these arcs you know I mean because they didn't have enough money so they stowed aboard Amanda Pete plays his ex-wife but they have kids together so you know they're still connected and stuff and he's trying to save them in fact there's a really really intense scene when earthquakes basically uh, destroy Los Angeles and he's got to get to their house and get Amanda Pete and her new boyfriend and his kids and try and get them away um, and in fact, that has me thinking, when the apocalypse finally does come, I'm going to be watching hell break loose, thinking which movie this most closely resembles, but I digress. So Anyway, at the end of this picture, um, the, uh, the in stowing aboard the Ark, they have caused a mechanical problem that is going to cause everybody to be killed, because the engines won't start, and so they have to... And it's something simple because, like, the, the basically, the door didn't close all the way when they came in. And as long as the door isn't closed, the engines won't start. So um John Cusack has got to go back to the engine room and try and correct this problem. And it's like a suicide mission, basically. <laughs> but, you know, he, he, he's he got to go. And it's just – it it's such a beautiful scene when he goes and he's like, I got to do this. And his son – you know, who has been kind of dogging him like the whole movie. It's one of these things where he won't call him dad. He calls him by his first name and stuff. His son is like, dad, you know, and all this. It's like, oh, but it, it really tugs at your heartstrings. And, uh, you know, there. It, it's all about human dignity and the struggle to survive. And it's just a really, really cool picture, you know, and sort of mm-hmm. illustrates all the different reasons why I think this genre of films and and actually this genre period uh, whether you're talking about uh, literature or comics or television or films why it's popular so anyway mm-hmm. for what it's worth um camille why don't you go next just
2: um bringing up one of my favorite stories that i've ever read in the last few years um called low by rick remender and as I said, it came out the last few years, but it's one of my all-time favorites, and it's basically set in the distant future where the sun is finally dying and the radiation is just so intense that nobody on the surface of the planet can exist or live there. And so they've all gone down underwater and they've been living there for decades at this point. Um, they have a family who is basically a royalty who is also some of the head people for like their science division, and the wife of I'm trying to think of her of her actual cuz they don't have like pure royal names and so forth. So I'll just call her Stell Kane, but basically she ends up she's the one who's actually looking for another planet entirely to see if she can save the entire race. And what I love about this whole series is that no matter how much trauma or how much bad stuff they end up going through or seeing, she still no matter what wants to push forward and still look for somewhere else and and always you know be there for her family and always look for her family so she has a very traumatic thing kind of happened to her in the beginning within like the first issue um her, her family's kind of ripped apart so to see her go through that and to have everything that she's worked for be destroyed and to still continue to fight for those things um, i found it incredibly inspiring just in my own personal life uh but it it, it, it it's that whole thing about you know, being tested and seeing other people and what they're made out of, but then thinking also inward and imagining if you could even do that yourself, imagining what, how much could you take until you finally would throw in the towel? What would it take for you to finally give up? Um, And and I like to kind of look at that introspectively as well.
0: Mm. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington I'm Ulysses E. Campbell I'm joined today by Brian Lyles Camille Richardson and Mike Lunsford we are talking about apocalyptic or dystopian themed stories and uh, Brian it's going to be your turn Uh,
3: all right. so I'm batting third now Okay cool Um, (laughs) uh, My this one movie I felt that um, I, I was okay with the story, but I had a problem with its ending. And it, it's a pretty, it's, it's not recent, but uh, it's called The Last Days. And it's a Spanish film. And it kind of, in a sense, in connection with Camille was mentioning about the sun. Um, so pretty much uh, the earth for somehow, for some reason, uh, a lot of people were acting crazy and not going outside as much because of the fact something was wrong with the Sun was doing something to the people so um one of these two guys Pretty much one was the business owner and the other guy he was the you know subordinate and Pretty much they once they realized that this was happening They pretty much had to stay in the building They were working in and pretty much their entire staff and all that stuff so and then the main thing it was like years later after the first initial incident, so they trying to find uh, their their loved ones. So one the guy the uh, the main guy the character he's trying to find his girlfriend who he found out he was uh, pregnant, and the the business owner he's trying to find his dad because he's at a nursing home, and so they do the journey. And again, just like what we've been talking about is how society deals with this tragic event. And pretty much everyone, you know, the one of the big initial scenes as they were leaving the building and making their trek to find their loved ones, they end up meeting these guys. One kid steals his bag that had a, a GPS that was still able to work. And, and he ends up, the kid ends up going to his, his, I believe his dad or whomever, and who's a cop. And the cop ends up pulling a gun on those two. And all he wanted was their bag back. And pretty much it was like, no, no, everything goes through me because pretty much as they're saying it's like, I have the weapon. I have something to control you with. So no one's leaving, no one's going anywhere because I have this power. And they were able to manipulate and get out of it, you know, use some kung fu or whatever, uh, a good, decent fight scene. And they were able to get out of it, get the GPS and continue on their journey. Uh, my main problem with this, and this is where I always have problem with a lot of dystopian, stuff lately is the fact that how does this get fixed and because the end of this movie it was like again the they, he was able to the guy was able to meet up with his girl and gas yeah, spoiler alert um, and able to meet up with his girlfriend they have the kid and then the next thing you know the kid goes off doing a one of those old yo know, go find yourself journey things because he was immune to what the son was doing to them so it was kind of like okay no one was able to fix this. No, no, you know, cure, no nothing. Just all right, the south ends. All right, fine. Honestly, it's a good movie. It, you know, just seeing the journey, but just it, I that's where I feel have the problem with now is, is how, can we fix this? C- is there a way to fix this? That's why I feel like Walking Dead is not fixable, <laughs> you know, is because there's no one's finding a cure for it. Everyone's worried about all these people journeying to things. So, but. I, I release my time. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. And in the anchor leg, and I'm sorry, Brian, this is why you weren't in the anchor leg, because <laughs> I was just, I'm was. just accustomed to in the anchor leg. Mike Lunsford. Mike? So
1: I'm going in a similar vein, um, but I want to go with uh, what ended up becoming a trendsetter when it comes to the, uh, the zombie genre, and that's going to be uh, my personal favorite zombie movie, and that's 28 Days Later. Um, when you think of zombies, we mostly think of like the slow moving, ambling like uh, zombies, right? But 28 Days Later was the one that really kind of changed the, the whole trend and turned them into these violent, like sprinting, like horde of locusts consume all living matter zombies. And like zombies went from these things that were kind of laughable where it was like, oh yeah, uh, okay, they're going to eat my brains, whatever. Um, Now it's like, oh crap. And like it's, It became a thing that was like frightening. And it really it's it's interesting when they when they chose to start doing that with the whole like like horde of sprinting angry zombies was right around the time the internet started getting really big because if you think about it, those there's a correlation there too. That information now consumes us so quickly and it's unescapable. Like it's there in an instant. So I, I thought that was a really interesting correlation. But I love this movie for a couple of reasons. One because it's very, like, not cr- it, it's not scary per se, but it's creepy. And it, it, it just makes you feel uncomfortable and uneasy the entire time you're watching it. And it really analyzes human nature because it shows how fragile our technology-based society is and our propensity as hu- uh, humans towards violence in general. Like, it wouldn't take much. Oh, my God, it's like we're living in something right now that shows how fragile things are. That it only takes one thing to really crumble a lot of our infrastructure and like there's a point in the movie which just really like it, it, walking dead does the same thing right there's a point in the movie when our main characters are rescued by the military who are trying to sa- uh, save society and after staying with them and witnessing like their like just awful plan of what they were going to do to try to rebuild thing the audience begins to wonder like you're watching this like who's the real monster here is it the infected or is it humanity and there's at one point like one of the main characters um um and i can't cillian murphy uh the guy who played the um he's in a million things now um but like he ends up basically like losing his stuff um and just like rages out and like attacks this this one dude and like you start seeing like this whole like dichotomy of like who's re- they, people were asking, like, is he infected? And you're like, you're, you're starting to see that the rage doesn't just infect you from the outside. It can come from within and be just as deadly. And it was just like, it's one of the first times that a zombie movie has really like nailed home a, a point that was different than what they've done before. Romero kind of marketed the whole thing. Right. But like Danny Boyle put his spin on it and really made it his own. And like, The ending in this movie is fantastic. In fact, there's like three different endings. So if you can find it online, you can watch the different uh, variations that they did. But just overall, just like, it basically, it ends up like Brian was saying, hey, there's no solution to this. That's why The Walking Dead kind of sucks. But like with this one, the solution is basically like, well, eventually they'll burn themselves out and they'll stop having things to eat. And that's basically what ends up happening. (laughs) But like, there's a sequel to it as well. But like this one, the first one by far, just the best one. Mm.
0: All right. Hey, and you finished up just in time because that musical cue means that it's time for us to take a short break because, of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online via WERA.FM. We are Arlington. We are your community radio station. And you still have time to participate in WERA's Spring Fund Drive help support the station that supports you visit the website at wera.fm make your tax deductible contribution in favor of freedom of speech in support of the first amendment and community radio today so we're going to step aside momentarily while we acknowledge the invaluable contribution of our underwriters and sponsors. We're also going to take the opportunity to promote some of the other exceptional WERA shows coming up later tonight. But stay tuned because Camille and Mike and Brian and I will be right back with more fantastic forum right after this. Don't go away. <laughs> And welcome back to Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington. Also streaming via WERA.FM. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell, and I am joined today through the miracle of technology because we are social distancing. We are observing the necessary shelter-in-place measures. staying safe for ourselves and for our community and uh, I'm joined today by Brian Lyles and Camille Richardson and Mike Lunsford from the Great Geek Refuge. We're talking today about some of the very compelling or interesting stories of dystopian lands, dystopian futures, dystopian presence, the apocalypse, all of this. And uh, I don't know why this has been on my mind. I guess there's stuff going on in real life to make me think about this (laughs) anyway uh, we just uh, sort of did a uh, first round and before we get to the second round uh, now seems as good a time as any to uh, reflect back on the genre itself and why it has remained so popular in the public eye for so many years so I had been saying that I had performed some research on apocalyptic stories, dystopian stories. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that was said, and I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure that I got it right. So, apocalyptic stories help the viewer make sense of the world, offers audiences strategies for managing crises, documents our hopes, fears, discourses, ideologies, and socio-political conflicts critiques the existing social order warns people to change their ways in order to avert an imminent apocalypse refutes or ridicules apocalyptic hysteria and seeks to bring people to a religious renewal spiritual awakening and salvation message and i said wow because that seemed to sum it all up (laughs) very succinctly you know i mean like you covered all the bases and it seems as if in a lot of apocalyptic or dystopian stories uh there is absolutely some sort of religious or spiritual component to these stories you know so um i think that uh the one that i am going to mention it doesn't actually feature any of that and uh, i was going to pivot because I said a movie earlier. I'm going to go back to another movie, but it's only because this is yet another one of these apocalyptic stories that whenever it comes on TV now, I want to watch it. Uh, it's called The Day After Tomorrow, and it's a 2004 film. Uh, of course, a- as 2012 that I mentioned uh, before, it uh, has the participation of the great filmmaker, Roland Emmerich, who is connected with big pictures, also who's connected with some pretty devastating apocalyptic kind of stories. Anyway, uh, Dennis Quaid is in it. He's the star. It also stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Emmy Rossum. Uh, But one of the reasons that I love this story, uh, so uh, Dennis Quaid is playing a climatologist, and basically what happens, the Earth's climate destabilizes as a result of the polar ice caps melting and too much fresh water being dumped into the oceans. And it changes um, I can't remember now exactly which particular flow it changes, but um, it, it's like the Northwest current or something you know that is very important to warming the climate. And uh, this just totally goes south as a result of this. And so the Earth enters a new ice age. And the special effects in this movie are really great. Also, I just happen to like Dennis Quaid. He's just a really good actor. (laughs) Jake Gyllenhaal does a good turn uh, playing his son. Uh, There's a real, real dramatic kind of story with this thing because, uh, you know, Dennis Quaid is trying to warn the government. And uh, you've got these characters. Perry King is, is playing the president in a George W. Bush-esque kind of performance. And, uh, in fact, they've sort of got these stand-in people for these people that you actually know. And um, it, the, the, the vice president, uh, who is uh, played by um, – I've got this written down. Yes, Kenneth Welsh. Um, you know, basically in the Dick Cheney role, uh, he is talking about well, you know, our economy is every bit as fragile as the climate, and so you know, what are these wacky ideas that you're talking about? You know, and um, but in the face of this coming ice age, uh, there isn't much that they can do to refute what he's talking about. Anyway, um, it, there comes a moment where. Uh, Dennis Quaid is briefing the president, and uh, the president is asking him, well, wh- what do you suggest we do? And Dennis Quaid says he draws a line uh, with a magic marker across a map of the United States, basically, uh, continental United States, basically like right in the center of it. He's like, evacuate everybody south of that line. And the president's like, well, what about the people in the north? And he's like, it's too late for them. If they go outside, the storm is going to kill them. He says the best thing to do is for them to shelter in place, burn what they can to try and stay warm, try and ride it out, you know. And uh, then after Dennis Quaid leaves... Ah, uh, the vice president is like, well, it's easy for him to say uh, he's safely here in Washington, and uh, this top scientist with the government, he's like, yeah, his son is in New York, <laughs> you know. And it's like, oh crap, you know. And then Dennis Quaid proceeds to go to New York and get his son, <laughs> and it's like, oh damn, it's just a really heroic kind of movie. But uh, yes, The Day After Tomorrow. I-, I don't know if any of you all have seen it. But oh I've seen that. Yeah, see uh, that multiple times. There's <laughs> a
1: there's a fantastic part in that movie where um, basically American refugees are crossing the border to go into Mexico. Oh, <laughs> and the and the president the president of Mexico basically says something like, um, something to the effect of like of course we'll cut we'll help you why wouldn't we and i'm just like (laughs) sick burn like
0: (laughs) well you may recall that the other thing that the u.s government had to do was like forgive all latin american debt (laughs) in order to get them to (laughs) to let folks in (laughs) which i thought was very shrewd on the part of uh, the mexicans you know (laughs) <laughs> anyway but yeah day after tomorrow really really great movie and uh, I encourage anybody who's interested to uh, to take a look all right so coming back around and uh, camille
2: so kind of going back to like the zombie stuff I have actually more of a question and a comment so I know Mike you were talking about 28 days later what are we considering? Or placing within the category of at least zombie films. Like, what is our definition for that? Because if I really want to get, like, nitty-gritty, I'd almost say, like... Which, 28 Days Later is one of my favorites of all time. But I don't necessarily even consider it a zombie movie. Because I don't think they die first. So, that's kind of where my... What, what do you
1: guys Yeah, think so I guess it's more of like a like a virus or pandemic or like... Yeah,
0: um... yeah. still counts as zombies, though. I mean, that that's what we kind of commonly call right. zombies, you know, whether you're dead or whether you're just like sick. You or know? whether
2: you're like fast or slow, because that would be another kind of thought with it.
0: Uh, you know, I personally, I, think I like the shambling zombies, but <laughs> you have the running... I mean, like, because I tell you what, them damn zombies in twenty eight days later in World War Z, those were some like they would outrun Carl Lewis zombies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely terrifying. That's why that I like them. Honestly,
2: more know. terrifying.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I personally, I think they still count as zombies. I mean, I don't know what you guys think because that that is the prevailing wisdom in terms of all this. You know, whether um, and in fact. That, that's one of the reasons why, in terms of the so-called zombie apocalypse, um, I'm not worried about it, but what we would actually see is, you know, like, say, for example, if, oh, I don't know, instead of dying, COVID-19 people got, like, really fast and wanted to, like, feast on brains and human flesh and whatnot, you know, I mean, might as well be the zombie apocalypse.
2: yeah
1: so yeah and if you look at like we'll use you know everybody's favorite uh website to say well that's not a real source but wikipedia (laughs) says that um it's a post-apocalyptic horror film so i mean like it's it falls into our categories for tonight so i I mean if i need to change if i need to change the nomenclature and say post-apocalyptic then i can i can live with that but um yeah i mean that i see you know
2: how people will differ with it
1: so (laughs) yeah well especially too like if you like um, I did some research when I, was write, when I was writing my comic book because I did a uh, an issue about zombies and like I had one of my guys like really nitpick the whole thing to death where he was like somebody was like oh you better watch out for zombies they'll eat your brains and he was just like well technically let's talk about that they don't eat your brains because really <laughs> zombies are actually a voodoo curse and they're actually not even really dead it's like it's a whole thing like I really went into all the detail and the minutia of it like just to be like you know, to be that guy yes
2: yeah
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well,
2: uh,
0: Camille, the judges say you're in good shape. (laughs) Comfortable territory.
2: (laughs) And then I would say for my comment, at least, would be, um, I know that, uh, Brian, you were saying that there's no, you get upset with Walking Dead because there's no solution. You could almost argue that and say that it shows that it becomes, by working together, it becomes manageable. I Well... (sighs) And in a way, you could almost see in that as a hope. But, I mean, that's still, like, after, you know, like, a decade.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> right, right. But the but other still- thing is, is, yeah, but the other thing is, it's like you're, I mean, you're focused on this group so much of how they're surviving, which is fine. But then again, it's kind of like, is there another group who's trying to fix this? And, and, and you know, that's where, that's where I feel like it's lost. For me, it's like, okay, great. I, I we can follow the group. That's great. It's like, well, i mind you the apocalyptic stuff. My perfect example I always go to is the Titanic of ninety seven. It's like I I followed the Titanic from beginning to end, left and right. I've you know, ever since Toraldo Rivera did that special and everything. And when they did the ninety seven movie, it's like, okay, I already know who died, I already know who survived. So why the only main thing I want to see is how the ship sinks. That's it but then again the way this movie made me focus on rose and jack it was like okay will these two survive i already know about the chaos and everything but will these two survive great sadly rose had to hog up all the you know the furniture so jack can't survive but that's a whole other story uh but that's where i feels like okay I understand there's a lot of craziness out there. I understand these people, you know, we're following these great people and everything. But then again, I need a team of scientists to help me figure out, can we save these zombies? Can we make a cure? Is there a way to save this? And honestly, I think that even as a writer, I think they don't even have a solution for it or they don't want to have a solution. They just want to feel just the focus on the group and and its survival. And I think that's like I guess nice and I will give us a, a nice happy medium so far but my thing is like yo um, did you someone create a vaccine for this? I mean <laughs> you did it for you did it for uh you know Resident Evil. I mean come on, Resident Evil they've had cures they they've had a cure in the video game, they had a cure in the movies. I mean c- can you make a cure for what we're going through? And honestly and I if I remember uh, Z Nation they, they were That was their main objective. They were trying to go and get find this cure. And unfortunately, we're not seeing it. And I think that it kind of gives me a false sense of hope of of like, this is, I mean, we're just surviving just to survive. And that's like, I can't live with that. I want to get try to get back, quote, unquote, normal. I want to get back to the way things were. And you're not helping me with that with these it movies makes so you far. Wonder if
2: it's just a matter of adaptability than anything else. If, if there isn't right. going to be some, you know, Uh, quick cure-all or something that's just going to put it back to some normalcy because you can almost say with any of these stories, whether in literature or film or what have you, you could almost be like well look at early man, I mean they had everything against them and what Mm -hmm. adaptability and what changes did they have to make in order to to see that they could survive, so you could almost look at it at anyone's beginning as one, you know, another's end,
0: so Mm -hmm. Fascinating, look, I have two comments to that First is they debunked on MythBusters that business about Rose being on the flotation thing. <laughs> Both of them should have been able to float on mm-hmm. that. There was no reason why Jack couldn't have climbed up on there. That's first thing. That's really messed up. Second thing is actually this is kind of messed up too. George Romero is dead. You know, it's like if anybody was gonna plot out have a story where there's a cure, it would have been George Romero. The fact that he went to his grave without and didn't rise by the way either but the fact that he went to his (laughs) grave I'm sorry too soon (laughs) the fact that he went to his grave without coming up with the story where this whole thing got resolved tells me that there's there there is no resolution the thing is just supposed to go on in perpetuity but I'm fascinated because I would love to see somebody who maybe was immune, you know? I mean, they, they don't shoot the guy in the head, he dies, and he doesn't come back, and they're like, wait, he didn't come back! What in the hell, you know? It's like, let's cut him up quick before he decomposes and find out why, you know, or why not, or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but something, because I, I, I'm with you, Brian, I mean, it, it shouldn't simply be, you know, that we, although, I, Camille, what you're saying about adapting in these, you know, the, the zombie stories you know, when, when you have a community, they adapt. You know, they got like the zombie control people when people die and I mean, look at you evolution. Know, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So okay, wait, was that yours? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was a good chunk. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA, 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia, and streaming on WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Brian Lyles, Camille Richardson, and Mike Lunsford. We are talking about... The apocalypse, about dystopian futures, about those stories that terrify us that we can't seem to get enough of. So, uh, Brian, what have you got?
3: Um, going to back sort of the the fast zombies, um, and this is becoming a new uh, cult classic as well. Is the Train to Busan? Um, it is a South Korean film, and the moment that everyone said, dude, you know, these zombies are way fast. You thought to 28 days later zombies were fast. These or the or even, you know, World War Z zombies, right? These zombies were crazy fast and crazily insane. And And the other thing is, is the fact of the way the zombies virus affected these people, like, very quickly. Um, but the main thing was, the main base of the story is it's like, you know, of course there was an infection that happened in somewhere in in Seoul, Korea, and somehow one of the affected got onto this train that was going to Busan, and it was one of those good old bullet trains, Hmm. so, and apparently once that person transformed and started affecting one car, It start going. Next thing you know, it's the whole venture is in the train, and there's this one particular scene I'll never ever will forget. So they were able to isolate themselves away from the other zombies. So there was like a good about fifteen people, and one of the main characters, he's a guy. He's he's like you know a just a normal guy, and he was helping this little girl as well, and. Somehow there is, of course, just like the whole essence of the zombie movies is somehow relates to like uh, capitalism and things like that. So there is this businessman who needed more acts, more room. He feels like this is beneath him and all that stuff. And for some dumb reason, he was able to latch open the door that was blocking the other zombies from the one room. And he was able to escape out and then let all the other zombies get in. And the people who were supposedly, were actually safe for a good while, ended up getting eaten while he's hiding away and trying to save himself. <laughs> and I felt like, you know, mind you, we've been talking about what, the reason of survival and all that stuff. And the selfishness. This was, this this part of the of surviving is the selfishness of one individual. And I feel like it's, it, it, it's like, Look, I understand you want to survive, but we can survive together as a group. But somehow you want to take on your own action, your own selfishness, and especially trying to get to a place where you don't know what hell's going on because, hey, you're seeing it on a train, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that there's some chaos going on. So, but you want to try to save yourselves and protect your papers, mind you. He had a, his briefcase and he was holding on it real tight. He's like, "I got to get these papers. I got to make money and all that stuff." And it's like, hmm. really, really, you're more worried about just like now we're worried, We got a president who wants more more worry about making money instead of dealing with lives. So, and you're trying to again, perfect, you know, perfect, you know, ironics or analogy here is, is like you're opening the floodgate. You're opening everything up and and allowing the affection to come in and take over. So really, I feel like there's a and I'm happy that there's going to be a second one, mind you. The second one is going to be real crazy <laughs> because everything is totally destroyed and you know based off the zombies. But um, it, it is to me right now. It's it's the new classic uh, zombie movie, The Train to Busan. Um, I, I highly recommend that. But also, trust me, you will get some of the the storylines and the and the similarities that what's going on today is happening in this movie.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've heard only good things about the train to Busan, and I had no idea that they were zombies were like as fast as Sonic the Hedgehog in this mm-hmm. movie. <laughs> no thank you yeah Yeah, exactly camille (laughs) it's like (laughs) i decline (laughs) i decline this one yeah all right Uh, and in the anchor leg mike lunsford
1: man i got a couple of good choices here and i'm trying to figure out which one i want to do uh the question that i have because i I did screw this up on a previous episode um are we counting dystopian futures
0: yeah dystopian oh wait is this um because I saw that you had asked this question. I did yeah. on social media. Yes, yeah. and I completely agreed with like the person who chimed in. Yeah, that's yes. fine. <laughs> okay, that's fine.
1: Not only is this one of my favorite dystopian future movies, um, it's one of my favorite movies period, and that's RoboCop. Hmm. This this movie is. You On about the search or I'm talking about the OG 1987 mm-hmm. Peter Weller. <laughs> Robert Weller, that one. Weller. Yeah, Peter Weller. That yeah. one. Yeah. Like like Red Foreman from the seventies show as a bad guy, Clarence boddicker Yeah, that that's I'm talking about that one. <laughs> Can you fly, Bobby? Yeah. No, I absolutely I absolutely love Robocop. Um the reason why is because you watch this on the surface as a kid, because I was a kid when this came out, you watch this on the surface and it's just like it's blood and gore and violence and there's nudity and there's cursing. And you're just like, wow, this is wow, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm getting to watch this movie. But then as you get <laughs> as you get older and you watch it and you realize that Paul Verhoeven had something really important to say with this movie and that it was social commentary. It was talking about the way really it was basically like, Hey America, this is you ultra violent. And boy, do you guys just lap it up? And RoboCop is an analogy for Jesus, like, it, it, and technology, like, that's the future, basically, like, saying, like, this is, you know, our next messiah. Like, I, the imagery is just incredible. But also, too, to imagine that a major American city has crumbled to the point where the police force is owned by a corporation. And, like, they're like, hey, we need a human subject for this robot. Police officer that we want to create oh just send one of the dudes into the worst part of town. It'll be fine We'll work it out later. Like it's horrifying but like again going back to what I was saying at the beginning of the uh, show That's what makes good movies whether it's sci-fi whether it's dystopian or or apocalyptic movies is that human struggle because as we see um, Officer Murphy gunned down and turned into RoboCop you realize that he's not all robot. He's still part man and he starts recovering these memories and it's, it's not a redemption story, but it's a, a story of discovery. It's like, who am I? What am I now? Am I a machine? Am I a man? Am I somewhere in between what happened to my family? Would they even accept me at this point? Uh, but then also he still has this programming of, you know, protect and serve and having to, deal with that like come to terms with like this is what the robot side of me is but this is what the human side of me is too and like and then just like you know there's all that subtext and stuff but also too uh from the standpoint of like just action flick fantastic just so much explosion and violence and like it's (laughs) yeah just absolutely absolutely fantastic and like the fact that you get ronnie cox as a bad guy when he's so often (laughs) a good guy like Ronnie Cox is a bad guy was a good twist too. I really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, just overall one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Fantastic dystopian. Um, it's really too bad that the sequels were less than stellar. Is the best way to put them. E-G. Yeah, there's E.G. They're, they're, <laughs> Yeah, and like, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. but like, and it just shows how different things were. Man, when this movie came out in the 80s, um, that there was a whole line of toys for kids Mm. on like one of the (laughs) most violent and bloody and gory movies ever made, and they were like, you know what, this really lends itself to a kid's line of toys, like, really? (laughs) Come on, (laughs)
0: I'll bet you had some of them too. (laughs) Uh, I certainly did. yeah no i um i want to absolutely give a nod to this because uh the other thing that i thought was really important about what this particular film had to say was in terms of uh the business world corporate america and because like you said ronnie cox even though he really did a great turn as a bad guy in um uh the the arnold schwarzenegger movie um uh, crap! I can't think of the name of it where they were on Free Mars. Free Mars now, you know that one.
3: Oh, oh, oh total recall. Um, uh, total total recall.
0: Thank you. Yeah, but um, but he was really he was really really good in this as uh, as Jones and um, Miguel Ferrer, you know, as uh, the uh, lower level guy who had created RoboCop, who was trying to move up, and you know, I remember Jones was like, because he had a contract with like the with the army. You know, for this this other, like, a robot, Ed245 or whatever. And it didn't work, but it didn't matter, you know, because Garvey was paying for it. He was like, I had a great deal. Spare parts for 20 years, and you came and screwed it up with your unholy monster, you know? <laughs> I mean, and then the fact that Ronnie Cox took the guy out, you know, it was like... <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the climactic final scene in that where you've got... Um, You know, who actually turned out to be a pretty cool villain uh, at the end. But there was, um, uh, crap, I can't think of the actor's name now, uh, who was playing the chairman of the board or the president of the company or whatever. And um, because in RoboCop 2, he was really a bad guy. But, uh, you know, um, know, they made it out like uh, Ronnie Cox was worse than him. And, uh, you know, then it turned out that RoboCop couldn't act against an officer of the company. And the guy's like, Dick! You're fired, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, Robocop was able to was able to shoot him. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, that was that was a really great movie. So, um, and unfortunately, with that, we're out of time. <laughs> it's going be because... an hour long show. But um, you know, Fantastic Forum, of course, also airs each and every Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. from three to four. And if you happen to be in the Arlington, Virginia area, you can watch it tonight. The TV version. That's right. It's on TV also. Comcast channel 69. Verizon Fios channel 38. 8 p.m. Saturday and Sunday nights. Also, we've got a website. Fantasticforum.tv And you can check out episodes of the TV show. We've got episodes of the radio show. We've got segments of the TV show broken out. Everything that you want. Everything that you need that you didn't even know that you needed. And of course, come back again next week. Same bat time, same bat station. In the meantime, shelter in place, do the right thing, stay safe, be careful everybody.